What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Pro? Exercising Social Justice. Thank you for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we have guests who will be on with us for our discussion. Can you say hi to the peoples, please? Patrice and Dio. Hey. What's good? We'll get to know them throughout this podcast because today, we're going to be talking about trans masculinities. How are you, Jake? I'm doing pretty well. It's a Friday. Um, Good to be here in the studio, and it's pretty healing. How about you, Carl? I'm stoked. We've been trying to plan this for like months. <laughs> yes, <laughs> literally um, months. Literally months. We're talking to some really busy people, some of the smartest people on campus. I'm just very, <laughs> very much great. looking forward to this process, right? And so, you know, Jake, you and I on this podcast in particular, we say masculinities, we pluralize it, right? And for a reason, there are many masculinities out there that you and I do not embody. And so we try to bring in guests to continue to expand this definition of masculinity. So we're so excited to have DL and Patrice here. So can we start with the two of you talking about your roles on campus and then from there starting off and sharing what your most salient identities are okay deal okay (laughs) um so my role on campus i'm new to campus i think that's um an important role (laughs) as newbie (laughs) yeah so i just got in about nine months ago to the area first time i'm living in colorado On campus, I'm a professor in the School of Education and one of the chairs for the Student Affairs and Higher Education Unit on campus. We have master's degrees offered both residentially and online and four grad certificates and three MOOC courses that we offer. Yeah. Cool. And I'm Patrice Palmer. Um, I work in the College of Business. Um, I have a joint role there where I am an academic advisor as well as um, the coordinator for two student organizations. Uh, One is BDLA, Business Diversity Leadership Alliance, which bridges the gap between business and diversity within the college. The other is a stewardship that really introduces uh, the college to potential business students and their families. And um, I also have the privilege of teaching a social responsibility and leadership course within the College of Business as well. Most salient identities we oh, were yeah. supposed to we're say, supposed to say too. That's yeah, okay. Totally forgot about that. Jumping in. Um, so mine, I'll lead with my proper pronouns of reference are he, him, his, or they, them, their. And I can say more about why I have two different sets at some other point in this conversation. Um, and so I think my... As I think about my how I talk about my identity and label it um, in any kind of specific ways, it's as if you could imagine all these words running together, not as separate um, and not separated by commas. Um, So black, queer, trans, man, parent, that is how I would probably frame what calls out to me most prominently across all other kinds of identities. Oh, wait, I have to adjust that. Um, (laughs) Black, queer, trans, disabled man, parent. Um, Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Salient identities. I would probably say um, my most salient identity is being a darker skinned Black person and the privileges as well as obstacles that come with that in the community. Um, I identify as a non-binary trans person, so I use uh, my pronouns interchangeably. Um, I probably would say I lead with masculine pronouns first. However, I do understand, and I'm still understanding and coming into my own realization of my own socialization in Black womanhood, which is a whole nother probably podcast just to talk about that. Um, but uh, I, I I use both of those interchangeably um, in the experience of being a 
um, non-binary trans person Mm -hmm. and uh, identify as queer. What else? I literally, I think I'm also in the the realm of a liver of life. I think I've lived, I have not lived for so many years. And so now as I am living, I'm experiencing all these things that I probably should have experienced when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so to me, coming at it with a different lens is very eye-opening. So I think uh, just, I definitely would say that's a part of my identity at this point. It's just being a liver of life. Word. Awesome. So can you yeah. give us a defi- <laughs> your definitions of transgender slash trans masculinities or masculinities? So I guess I'll, I can start and hand off and we can just go back and forth on this. Um, so transgender, of course, is a large umbrella category. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily synonymous with trans man or trans masculinity. Right? So that's under that umbrella. Right. And so I like to think of transgender as we break down the word trans for folks who are into their Latin prefixes. Um, it literally means across, right? So across gender. And I think it it engages all of those different ways that there are people who live life across gender categories and or across or in defiance to what gender categories were or gender classifications were assigned them at birth. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that is how I understand the bigger umbrella. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, in I, I would definitely say um, it's definitely living across as a person who, again, I kind of uh, alluded to this at the beginning, socialized as black female mm-hmm. and then living mm-hmm. um, in a more masculine identity while still having that socialization with me, I'm definitely across gender um, when I think about that. Um, I will also say transgender does not always encompass a binary. Right. Um, and I Absolutely. think a lot of times when folks think of transgender, they think of someone who is completely transitioning from one to another and not understanding that there is a process mm-hmm. just with anything else in life. There is a process with it. And we are on all different spectrums of that process. And I think until you die, which is mm-hmm. again, another process, mm-hmm. it, it, you're still transitioning. Right. Right. Um, right. But for me, when I think of transgender, it is, I was a signed based on genitalia mm-hmm. a category mm-hmm. and every stereotype good bad or indifferent was already given to me without my consent and i am actively working against that assignment so that's when i think about being transgender it's just the assignment given mm-hmm. and i don't agree with it right Right. It's one. Of, and, and for clarification, although I talked about and said, you know, queer, disabled, trans man, my trans manhood or trans masculinity is also non-binary um, mm-hmm. in its and gender queer. It's queer in its shape, um, queer in lots of different ways. So <laughs> because uh, similar to Patrice, you know, um, I often say I was born into and of black womanhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And because I am and came to accept and recognize this aspect of who I am pretty late in life. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm I'm in my mid 40s. OK. Um, it's funny you let that out in your salient identities. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Black people don't hate. Don't so, yeah. I don't think we ever yeah. actually talk we about hate. We don't. This is like what? Um, yeah. And I still get carded when I go places. Real? So, yeah, I don't look like. Apparently, I still look like I could be sneaking, sneaking alcohol, (laughs) but which is fine. And so I've lived nearly just like almost every experience 
of womanhood, traditional, typical womanhood Mm. already in my life. And that's not anything I want to ever dispose of or hide Mm. or cloak in any way. That's part of who I am and how I understand who I am. And so I, you know, I look at motherhood as a gender. Mother is a gender. Mm. And I am a mother. You know, I have biologically given birth to a child. I know what that experience is like. I have breastfed. I have done all of those things that are classically, that are used very much in very transphobic and trans antagonistic ways to limit the category of woman to only a certain set of people, Mm -hmm. right, who are cis women. And so recognizing sort of I, this is like the living between and across genders. And that's definitely part of how I understand myself. I think when it comes to, so then (laughs) defining trans masculinities, and that's plural, Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's sure. plural. Right. Um, there's not just one trans masculinity. And it, it's funny, my son, who is a trans man and is trans in a different way than I am. Um, he is more of the binary. You know, this this was just wrong from jump. And we're going to correct this right about now. He interviewed me for a paper he had to write about masculinities for this class, this really awesome class he's in about masculinities, race, and nationhood. I was like, Mm. what? First year student in college, you get to take this kind of class. (laughs) I, yeah, didn't have any exposure to any of that kind of thinking until I was well grown. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Can you see how privileged you are? Dang it. Um, he asked he asked me to define you know, how would I describe my masculinity? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know what words to put on it because I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of essentializing masculinity around, you know, I like football and sports and, you know, I drink beer and, you know, it's, it's those kinds of things that are not, it's, you know, those tropes and stereotypes of masculinity that are in the society at large, you know, it's very easy to default to those things. And although all of that is true of me, it is also true of femme and feminine people as well. Absolutely. And so that's not my masculinity, you know, and so... Hmm. I think when people wonder, you know, so why do you feel like so if you're trans and that must mean that you're opposite the standard traditional norms for the gender you were classified as birth or assumed to be at birth and are opposite of those things to fit this other set of stereotype categories, right? Um, habits, norms, et cetera, which um, for some people may be the case, but I think for the most part, particularly for non-binary folks, it's, that's just not it. It's just, um, I know... I I finally came to in answering my son's question. My masculinity is just queer. I recognize that the suit of womanhood does not fit me. I have tried to squeeze myself into that clothing, you know, and I don't, you know, if you or your listeners probably should recognize the experience of trying to put on a pair of pants that you cannot fit anymore. And just you, you, it don't fit and you just need to stop giving up and trying to squeeze yourself into them, particularly with like with jeans. And so all day. Right. And so <laughs> This that's exactly how I understand my experience with womanhood is that it was a pair of pants that did not fit. And I was uncomfortable all daggone day every day, mm-hmm. you know, but having very much an, uh, a relationship with gender. Right. And so a gender 
folks often get left out of this conversation about Mm -hmm. transgender and transness and gender identity. I do have a relationship to gender. I do feel a connection to gender. It's just not womanhood. Femininity is not that connection for me. It is more situated around masculinity. I remember I was just back home for a conference in New York, um, which is another Salem identity is being a New Yorker. Detroit. Um, Look, um, (laughs) we're not going to go there. Um, You can just say that all you want. New New York, 212, whatever. So (laughs) first, um, (laughs) biggest, best, largest, we could go all the way. Anyway, best pizza, best pretzels, best street hot dogs. Don't, don't, let's not. So anyway. I'm not even going to do this. I went back. You started it. I went back to um, the the Catholic school first through eighth grades that I attended. And there is across the street from that school, um, St. Charles Bar Mail. Um, There's across the street from that school, a park. And what I remember growing up is that uh, when I went to that school is that at recess, the girls were sent across the street to the park. And the boys were allowed to play in the street. Hmm. So they cordoned off the the two ends of the street, 141st Street, uh, 142nd Street, rather. And um, the boys would play football, stickball, whatever, whatever, out in the street. And the girls would be in the park, in the park, doing whatever. And more t- often than not, there was this fence, like a, a wrought iron fence that separated, um, that, that bordered around the perimeter of the park and I just remember always and I took a picture um just through the fence looking into the street when I was there because that's what I would do Hmm. most days is just stand at the fence and look into the street and wish and wonder why I couldn't be out there Hmm. right and getting chastised for because of the presumption being I'm still I'm looking at the boys because out of sexual kind of romantic lust kind of things you know like I said this was a Catholic school and it was like this had nothing to do with that (laughs) had nothing to do with that you know so yeah so that's just just one example and and recognizing like I said my masculinity is queer and so there are lots of ways that there are queer masculine aspects of who I am that show up Mm -hmm. in me you know yeah Hmm. interesting Uh um (laughs) no I I I totally resonate with the looking at men and it being misconstrued as a romantic uh look and it wasn't in any way I I absolutely thought even growing up I just thought men the a body, a, a male body was beautiful. I just thought that was a beautiful thing, not in a lustful way or a romantic way. I'm just like, wow, that is so cool. And um, it's very hard to articulate that to um, very deeply religious people um, when when you are quote unquote staring at, at mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. at a perceived opposite sex. Um, and so I guess when I think of trans masculinity, I think about that across energy. Mm-hmm. Because I think of masculinity as an energy and that energy for me is completely wrapped also or intertwined in femininity. Mm-hmm. I just don't know where one starts and the other one begins. So sometimes I will find myself doing something that will be stereotypically feminine when in fact I'm like that to me does is not feminine or the way that it is perceived may be feminine. And I'm like, no, men can do that. 
Women can do that. Mm -hmm. People can do that. So why is that something that has to only be stereotyped? Again, my my masculinity is very much intertwined into my socialization, into my own perception, because what I saw as masculine was coming from a woman first. And I use that with my mother and my grandmother, both being very strong women. And so the strength, the protector, the servant, the shepherd, all of those things were coming from them. And so I was taking that and saying, okay, this is kind of things I want to remember. And then interacting with my father, which was very quiet and observant and powerful, but in a silent way. And I'm I'm taking all of these things and they're all kind of becoming intertwined as one person, as opposed to these two separate beings. Yeah, I think for me, my masculine is definitely a queer thing and it's actively being defined because I'm really, really actively trying not to be toxic in it because it's so easy. It's so easy to take up space because people are, they're so prone to it that they don't even know that they're allowing me to do it. And I have to catch myself in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, let me make sure that I'm not being sexist in this way. Make sure I'm not being homophobic and transphobic in what I'm saying, because it's so the the vernacular is so embedded in everything that I say and I do growing up in Detroit, all that stuff, you know, it's all embedded. So as I am also defining it, I'm also trying to get rid of stuff at the same time. So it's kind of like I'm packing and then unpacking Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. at the same time, which sometimes doesn't feel like I can move any further. And falling into trap, I don't know if this is true for you, falling into those kinds of habits. Like I remember it was after the affiliate women's studies faculty thing. I'm pointing at you because you were there. (laughs) Carl, Carl was there. And at the end of it, me and Carl and another guy uh, who's a queer man were talking and around us. Did you recognize all of the women were cleaning up and picking up the entire time we were talking? Whoops. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it didn't hit me until like they were nearly done. And it was like, oh, crap. I just did this very like toxic Mm -hmm. patriarchal thing. not participating in the cleaning up an event that I was a part of and just running my mouth with my bros and completely ignoring what's happening over here right in front of my face. And in having that same like, eek, <laughs> well, that was gross um, kind of reaction, you know, being in a conversation at a conference recently with one of my best friends who is femme and non-binary, genderqueer, femme person. And she and I were in a conversation with a cis man. And in this conversation, several times, not once, several times, I I interrupted her. Mm-hmm. Oops. Right. And afterwards, I realized what I did and I apologized. And she was like, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. And I'm like, no, actually, it is not okay. And do not let me get away with this. That's this real. is not okay. And so those ways that men are oftentimes, even by women and films, allowed to get away with certain behaviors because it's expected that you're going to engage in those behaviors anyway and needing to think as Patrice was saying to like really be like, oh, no, I've got to actively work 
to recognize and reject that. Even as someone who's been the target of it. Absolutely. Right? And so that's what's really tripped yeah. up about. It. It's like, I should know better. I know how this, this feels. I and... know how this feels. And yet I am falling right into that hole um, of treating other people the same way. Can we stay here just a little bit longer in terms of, I think there's behavioral and performative things that are absolutely toxic in this masculinity. Mm-hmm. But Patrice, you're talking a little bit about how much you speak. And I feel like voices in particular is a different matter. Like it sounds ridiculous to say I need to speak less as a queer black trans person. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what? <laughs> no, that is not the way I'm trained in terms of this whole like getting voices out there. So can you talk a little bit more about the negotiation you have between speaking your truth, but not taking up too much space as someone who might be perceived as a male or yeah. a man? Um, it definitely gets very convoluted very quickly. And I think also it is the spaces to which I am a part of. Mm. Um, And so being in a business world, there are certain things that are accepted and not accepted. So when I, when we go to conferences and I'm speaking and again, a group of men and I'm in a suit and their perception of me is male until of course there's something that I do mm-hmm. that gives wait, you away. It, give, it gave me away. And the minute that it gave me away, I recognize the the energy has changed. I recognize the space to which now I have to interact. So I have to make choices very quickly. How do I still take up space to an extent? How am I still present in this conversation as well as how am I actively trying to tell my mind do not slip into feminization right Mm -hmm. now? I don't need you to be a girl right now. Okay, But at the same time, it depends on what, again, what spaces I'm in. So if I'm also in a space when I'm with women, particularly in this field with white women, how much space I'm taking up. Because again, there is something that I will do that will then put me lower on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. And when it happens, the way that I'm socialized, I will clam up Mm -hmm. and I shut myself down because that's the role that I'm, I'm normally in. And so I have to be active in putting my voice out there. But again, recognizing that in doing that, I may be shutting down women in order to exert myself as a black person now in this mm-hmm. space. So there are so many layers mm-hmm. that are happening all at the same time. And I guess that's why, you know, I don't understand why black folks don't age harder than we do because there's so <laughs> much stuff going on and I'm constantly working <laughs> to exist. There, there's a labor of existence that, that happens that it, it just takes its toll. And sometimes it's just easier to do one or the other, to either take up the space and not care in the moment or to completely shut down. Hmm. And I, I have to figure out, I got to pick it, pick and choose my battle. Which, which war am I trying to fight today? Mm-hmm. Um, and who is going to be a casualty of that? Are women going to be a casualty of that um, in order for me to exert myself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The, the idea that it's easier to slip into the binary, make, I think really highlights the difficulty of the existence of transgender people in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then when you, add marginalized racialized identity like i at a predominantly white institution where there's pretend social justice going on um (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know that's incredible i think it's one of the ways we also have to to think about the the ways that black women and black men and black womanhood and black manhood are differentially 
experience a gendered racism, mm. right? So black women um, show up in a space and are often presumed to be aggressive and threatening and hostile unless they do this really huge song and dance of having to do all these fake smiles and all this labor um, to come across opposite of that. Or just sassy. Or just sassy, right. You're just sassy. And so you're dismissed. Mm-hmm. If you're sassy, you're dismissed. If you're seen as aggressive or angry, then you are a threat and you're mean, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Black manhood in academic spaces, what I've observed is this very sort of two-pronged kind of thing. So either, like similar with Black womanhood, Black manhood is either so valorized because of its rarity that it's like you're elevated to this pestle where you can do no wrong, especially if they're, as I have observed, in an environment. So one black man with a bunch of cis white women. You're a fetish. You're a fetish. Or you like that second thing we're talking about with black womanhood, you're perceived as a threat Mm -hmm. and danger, inherently dangerous. And so I think for me, That's what I'm always trying to navigate and recognizing that for me, 99% of the time, I am misgendered as a woman. And so that is how people are engaging with me is through that presumption of that kind of gendered racism. And so when I'm dealing with cis white people, I don't shut up and I don't worry about how much space I'm taking up Mm -hmm. because I know otherwise I'm contributing to this, to my own oppression in Mm -hmm. that way. And so it's just like, I'm, you just gonna have to deal with it. And if you, if you call me aggressive, I'm going to check you on your racism for that. And I'm going to use and stand in other privileges that I have. I mean, so I'm a tenured full professor. Mm -hmm. Right. So that gives me a certain latitude and leverage to be able to show up in spaces in certain ways that I couldn't otherwise. Mm -hmm. But when I am in the company of predominantly black or other non-black people of color space, I'm really trying to be very mindful to take a backseat as much as I can, unless there's some transphobia, trans antagonism pop off, but to work, to center, to listen and to respect Black femininity and women of color femininity and femmes, um, so non-binary, genderqueer, femme people in that space and to not take over, to not take up too much space. I think I'm much more conscious of my masculinity in those spaces because Mm -hmm. my masculinity is much more often recognized in those spaces. Yes, definitely, definitely recognized in those spaces. Right, right. As well as not trying to, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. uh, Also, not trying to, um, particularly in Black spaces where there is a perception of being misgender as only female. Right. Also recognizing that I understand you're trying to build community, but that's not my community. And I don't want to take up space in that community. Mm -hmm. So when you invite me to women only Mm -hmm. events, I'm going to stand out Mm -hmm. because my masculinity is going to be really loud Mm -hmm. in that space. I don't care how quiet I am. Mm -hmm. It's going to be loud. And you recognize my masculinity and you will give me the space to do it while I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. Right. And it's, right. be, it's absolutely because of that that energy being exuded in that space, mm-hmm. as opposed to being in male spaces where if I'm in predominantly male spaces, then their energy comes out mm-hmm. more almost to say, like, we know you're here, but you can't say nothing. 
And so, again, that that fight in your own community because of I, I, I definitely think of the the genderism of race within the black community of how it is it is perceived. Um, and, you know, the protesting of just being ain't I a woman? Right. I am a man like those things within our community. So when you have someone like myself who is very non-binary and walking into those spaces, I don't know if my community knows how to accept me. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. because the white community doesn't know how. (laughs) So therefore it ain't got passed down to us yet. Right. And I should clarify when I was, when I, before us, I'm thinking about, and it's so funny because it's such an assumption in my head that I forget to clarify and enunciate it. I'm thinking about queer communities of color (laughs) where I act (laughs) like that. I actively try to avoid predominantly cis people of color gathering spaces that are gender segregated because of exactly what Patrice is talking about. I am going to be misgendered in either space. And yet my masculinity is going to be loud as Mm -hmm. in that space. And no one's going to know what the hell to do with it. And I'm going to have to manage all of this trans antagonism as a result. And Mm -hmm. it's too much labor. It's entirely too much labor. And so I'm like, nah, thanks, but no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not going to come to your black woman's gathering space. One, because I'm not a black woman. Two, because even if I showed up there, you wouldn't know how to deal with me. The pressure for communities of color to hold on to the binary, is that a survival tactic or is that just a very low consciousness around the impacts of white supremacy or all of it? You know what I mean? No, mm-hmm. no, I, I know okay. exactly what you mean. I, I've put it within the ra- the realm of respectability politics. Okay. Um, Do you mind as, describing that mm-hmm. real quick? Sorry. Um, or at, I was going to, or <laughs> as um, Ibram Kendi um, in his book, Stand from the Beginning, talks about uplift suasion. Um, both concepts are, are really kind of parallel. It's, it's trying to present yourself as fitting within the norms, the societal norms around particularly sexuality, gender, habits, like class habits and whatnot, religion in ways that are acceptable. So like, let me try to downplay your racism by showing you that I am so like on it in these other ways that you also value so that you can see I'm just like you and therefore will garner more respect. And so for me, that the heavy genderism in communities of color and particularly within black communities, because that's the one I'm in, Mm -hmm. I think is very much related to two things. One, wanting to not be looked down upon as one more way that mm. you are less than human right. than white people. I was okay. definitely going to say the humanity part right. of it. One more way you like not really human mm-hmm. and therefore not really deserving to be in the same space and have the same accordances, affordances as white people. The other thing though is the the really kind of tripped out ways that um, within black communities Christianity in a certain form and shape of Christianity has been absorbed and internalized that is trans oppressive and queer oppressive. Mm -hmm. And it's like we are like black conservative Christians are like on the (laughs) just like, whoo, you know, in terms of their the trans and queer antagonism is like they out queer antagonists and queer and trans antagonists like what's that church? What what the um the people who protest folks' funerals. 
Westfall, West something. Westboro. Westboro yeah, Baptist Westboro. Church. Yep. Thank you. It's like they yeah, they they out they out antagonize Westboro. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a trip, you yeah. know, and, and for for people for whom Christianity was used as a weapon of enslavement and mollification, pacification. It it just trips me the hell out. It really does. Yeah, I think that's probably for me personally is where I was trying to my best to assimilate to the binary was because right. I was in church mm-hmm. and you are literally being told by the people that you value the most, who are valued the most in your community, that you that your existence is wrong mm-hmm. and everything about you, every thought that you have is absolutely going to send you to hell. That's absolutely what it's going to do. And so I think going back to the humanity part within Black communities, I definitely see that as a a, a part of colonization because this is not how we always have been. Exactly. We weren't like this before. We didn't, this didn't happen to us. This being, having a binary was something that we just got introduced to. People were celebrated and um, looked at as spiritual beings for being able to cross gender, almost angelic like. Mm-hmm. And then all this oppression happened and all of our belief systems were stripped and beaten and raped out of us. And mm-hmm. now we have taken on this other identity and we are not living this. Mm-hmm. And there is a such a anger and hatred toward anything that is against that right. binary. If you are a man, you have to be a man in all ways. Um, in certain you, kinds right. of ways. Same with being a woman. Um, I don't know how many times I've I've been somewhere or, you know, Facebook bullies. Uh, people like to go hard on Facebook. I want to meet you in the street for that. Um, but <laughs> like folks, you know, they, they go hard on, on Facebook. And I, and I can't stand when, when you have a, a black person who is antagonizing the LGBTQIA community specifically for existing. And somehow this vehicle is now disrupting the black family right and single-handedly changing the concept of what the black family is and when i'm saying i support you i love you i want to see your upliftment i just don't want to have sex with you why is that a problem like i don't get that part of it mm-hmm. and i think again it, it just comes back to that you know ain't i a woman ain't i a man mm-hmm. type thing and that's all folks want to be seen as is that let me be seen as human right when it's, it when in fact right. i'm trying to do the same thing yeah and then the sexuality and the gender piece gets conflated right oh, like so much and so if you are assigned female at birth and you start showing up and, and with all this masculine energy, then, oh, you must be a lesbian, mm. which is like, no, not necessarily. not necessarily. That's not how that works. Um, So there's still this presumption of um, heterosexuality, even if I am going to accept your gender transness, your transgenderness, I'm still going to presume that that falls within a heterosexual mm-hmm. um, expression. Which, yeah. I mean, I always do that. Right. (laughs) So we talked about, uh, or y'all talked about kind of behaviors that were either like kind of expressed or learned. Um, What are some ways that you learned what it means to be a man? Mm. 
learn what it means to be a man. I think I'm still discovering that, what it means to be a man. There there are um, role models that I take from a lot of different people. You know, I, I want to have the suaveness of Denzel. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, mm-hmm. I want, mm-hmm. you know. I want to be cool like Billy D, you know, mm-hmm, I, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm taking these uh, these points that I that I am attracted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm also trying to learn that with other trans folks as well. Right. Hmm. Um, I don't want to just look at binary representation of masculinity. I want to see that. So I, I follow a lot of dudes on Instagram and I'm like, oh, that's I like that. I, I, I understand that. I understand where you're coming from. But I think it's still a journey, at least for me, it mm-hmm. is um, trying to take, you know, notions of when I grew up, things that I I have kept from growing up with my parents, uncles, things like that. But I am still evolving and learning and unlearning probably every day what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the first thing in learning what it means to be a man is being able to recognize humanity in someone else. Right. I can't like I, you can't recognize my masculinity, my manhood, my journey if I can't at least be able to recognize yours. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I'm I'm trying to also wipe away, you know, getting with the oh, you identify as trans and you look binary. Are you straight by mm-hmm. presumption or, you know, mm-hmm. oh, that you're not or what, what do you call yourself? Can I ask that? You know, constantly checking my my own self and again, just unlearning and relearning and fine tuning stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. that's me. You asked where like models, right? Where yeah, we find models. Like what, what are ways that you learned it? Um, I think growing up, I really had no positive models of masculinity that I grew up with, like in my family. Most of them were like negative examples of either masculinity or just like being a person, right? Because mm, <laughs> so, we just <laughs> talk about just not being a great person. And over over the course of my life, when I think about who I have attempted to frame or model my masculinity after, they have all been gay cis men, gay cis black men. Mm. And because of, I think, they're for the ones that I am modeling myself after is not true of all cis gay black men at all. But for the ones that have been formative for me, as I think about myself and my masculinity, there is this really beautiful interlacing of care and nurture and strength and it's, it's a, a strength that comes with a certain with a and through a masculine energy. So it's not to say that femmes femininity is not strong because it is Mm. it's different it's a different kind of strength and seeing that blend of ability to express emotion and to be like verbally acute um (laughs) actually can express what you're feeling and thinking um without just stuffing that all in Mm -hmm. um which is often the model taught to cis hetero men with a a strength of presence that is just really powerful and just being just dapper. So when I think about Billy (laughs) D and Denzel and many of the the black queer men that I love and admire that are in my life, they're just dapper as they just like smooth, right? Just smooth. smooth. And it's like, yes, yes, that that's me. Yes. That's what I want to emulate. That's what I want to bring across, you know. Um, but that dapperness has so much confidence. So much confidence. And there's it's, an authority that comes swagger. with it. 
swagger. Swagger. It has yeah. a it has a, a authority that right. is not you. You can't you can't be a gangster and have, and bring that same thing. Mm-mm. Like the best gangsters were the ones who had on a suit because it was That's like right. you didn't know how these dudes was about to, That's to right. show up. How they was gonna roll. But right. when, whatever they did, when they opened their mouth, you listened, mm-hmm. and there mm-hmm. there is that presence that you want to be able to bring. Um, not that I'm overbearing or that I am right. My strength is it has to be overpowering to you, right. but it must be respected. And I think dapperness is a respect mm-hmm. that comes through that. They don't ever have to say anything. You just know, like, right. They just got it together. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, like, how would you kind of balance having that level of confidence and I guess swagger, like you all said, with also understanding that there is some level of kind of power within that? Can you separate that respect factor in like a presenting male body without power infused into that because power given without to men already. dominance you're talking about power as dominance or is that just the creation of new gender that we're, we're aiming for anyway I, I mean it's that both both and i mean i think that for me i don't have to be domineering in order to be confident and if you're domineering you're probably actually not confident absolutely right okay. absolutely um and so it's it's a self being self-possessed right which sometimes, you know, you fake it till you make it. So I'll show up in spaces looking like that and not feeling like that mm-hmm. at all. Um, and then there are other times where I'm completely comfortable in my own skin. That's what I when I think about that swagger and being a bring across that dapperness and that swagger. It's about being completely comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. Right. Regardless of what anybody else is thinking or how it's it's I am comfortable in my own skin right now and in this space. And that in and of itself projects a certain level of confidence and swagger and and all of that. And so if you have that, you don't have to be in power over someone else. Right. And you're not going to come across as domineering over someone else because you are self-possessed. Right. And comfortable in your own skin. People with regardless of gender or cross gender who engage in kind of domineering power over behavior with other people are not at all self-possessed and confident and, and comfortable in their own skin. They're not. They're not. Absolutely. You know. I mean, I look at it also in the sense of power is not inherently bad. I think we only mm-hmm. sometimes look at it from um, negative standpoints. So power can be freeing. Power can open doors. And so when I think right. of the way that power can be used to change an atmosphere, I don't know if you've seen Coming to America, um, <laughs> but movie Coming to America. So there, there is a scene in Coming to America where Prince Hakeem is sitting on a, it's a swing set. So he's sitting on this swing set and she says, why are you sitting like that? And he was like, you know, how am I sitting? But he was posed. He didn't recognize that he was posed. She said, you you sit like you're royal. And in everything that he's trying to do is to get away from that royalty that he is. However, it's inherent in him. It's just him. And it's not him trying to be. And that's, I think that's where... I want my power and confidence to come from a self understanding that I just am. Mm-hmm. And because I just am, you can be. Right. I think about Audrey Lord here mm. and I, I pull up my phone so I can look up this quote. She says, when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, then it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid. And I think that's what 
we're talking about is standing in that kind of that's the kind of powerfulness and power that I that I have in mind. I'm thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your notions of safety, because in the U.S. at least, it's really it's complicated. Black men aren't safe. Black women aren't safe. And then when I think about trans women of color and trans men of color, it's doubly quadruply so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in terms of passing power or the lack thereof in the black community, can you kind of talk about negotiations of safety on an everyday basis as it relates to gender identity and racial identity? I've definitely been pulled over as a black man several times. I've been mm-hmm. handcuffed as a black man. I fit the description of a black man several times. And I'm not going to lie and say in order to ensure that I, I was able to drive away from that, I did slip back into femininity. I tried my best to come across as someone who was non-threatening in order to save my own life. Mm-hmm. Re- recognizing that all the stereotypes, everything was already against me in this space. So what can I do to ensure? And so um, for me, it was definitely playing drag um, mm-hmm. in order to to be safe. In this community, being in Colorado, I don't necessarily feel unsafe for my gender wise. Being black is a whole different thing. But <laughs> Uh, gender wise, I don't really feel unsafe. I don't know why. I, I, I maybe it's just the fact that I'm definitely not afraid of anyone in this in this space. And I constantly tell people I'm from Detroit, so I don't know what you used to, mm-hmm. but you, I'm not going to back down from you. So you need to know that walking into the conversation with me, that we're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if I'm back in Detroit, it it depends. It depends mm-hmm. on where I am in the city who I'm with, who know where I'm at, all that other stuff. So I have not ever walked in fear. I just wasn't raised that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't had a reason to fear in a sense. I've been threatened, all that other stuff, but it is what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, that might be some of that masculinity coming in. Like, you hit me, <laughs> let's just go. Like Bravado. Right. I mean... Mm-hmm. And that probably has a lot to do with my own ego. Like, I I know that if you don't knock me out, I'm going to knock you out. That's just how it's going to be. Regardless of how big you are, how big you think you are, you need to make sure that when you you put your foot forward that you go all the way. Because if I get a chance, I got to take you out. Mm -hmm. So the fear is just not there for me. And I understand that there's a privilege that that being able to slip back into being perceived as a woman can do for me as opposed to someone who may not be able to give that presentation depending on mm-hmm. on their circumstance. Thank you for sharing. There's definitely a way that growing up in Harlem and in New York has bestowed upon me a certain sense of bravado mm-hmm. when I walk places. It always has. So back home in that conference, leaving out from a joint with a sister friend of mine, and it was one o'clock in the morning and we're walking the streets of Midtown Manhattan. And I never crossed my mind to be afraid because it was like, I will jack you before <laughs> we, we gonna tussle. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you as, as good as I can um, in that moment. You know, you if you walk away and I don't, you going to look toe up. You going to look like you've been in something. That's my attitude. I've never actually had to prove that, fortunately. Um, That's real. (laughs) You know, but that's the attitude I walk with, which perhaps is part of the reason why I've never had to engage that. Mm -hmm. And I have lived too much of my life squeezed into womanhood 
to not be mindful in certain spaces of whether or not I'm safe and can safely show up in my gender truth. So there are places sometimes I go if I'm unfamiliar with the space and never been in the space before. And I mean, so psychological safety and physical safety. That's real. Right. So both of those things. And so there are places where I, I have no concerns about my physical safety, but my psychological and emotional safety are definitely in question where I won't necessarily show up in terms of dress as masculine as I could where I slip into a more androgynous dress code as Mm. it were to help moderate and modify other people's engagement. So almost allowing for the misgendering to use that for my advantage to keep me protected, Mm -hmm. right? It's sort of like, um, as I think about often um, international students from Asia, Africa will give an English name, an American name, often to protect the sanctity of their given name from mm-hmm. getting butchered right? That's real. Um, by people who refuse to learn how to properly pronounce um, their name or have no respect or will mock it, have no respect for it. In similar fashion, that's how I often will use my dress presentation Hmm. is I'm going to give you this that I think you can deal with and you can handle instead of coming up in my truth and perhaps being then subjected to a level of psychic emotional violence that I'm going to have a hard time walking away from because of my psychological emotional disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so there's so I think there's that and that that doesn't feel good doesn't feel good at all. They have to make those accommodations for other people. And so as, as much as I can, I avoid being in situations where I have to do that. And sometimes I have to do that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm going to nerd out for a half second, but like, and I don't know if we're going to, I'm probably cut this out, but like <laughs> <laughs> the other way you described how you have to show up reminds me of how much people consume, right? Like you're right. trying to make it edible for other people to, mm-hmm. to take in your gender presentation mm-hmm. um, and linking that to just capitalist mindset um, from a systemic level of how people and I mean everyone in the US but white people in particular are taught to consume and so Mm -hmm. even taking this concept of gender as a consumption helps mm-hmm. connect into broader ideas around capitalism. I think that are really important right. happening at a micro level. Absolutely. And legibility. Yeah. Right. And so um, you can't consume something you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The way that a cis sexist genderist society puts on the need for trans people to show up as legible mm-hmm. so we can much better handle some of us anyway, right. um, for the most part, can much better handle a Laverne Cox or Janet Mock mm-hmm. than we can someone who is less quote unquote legible as a woman. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And so there's much less tolerance for the folks who are between. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, who who perhaps like on the feminine spectrum who identify as trans women but are not quote unquote passable. Right. Right. Are not as legibly recognized for who they are in their truth. Right. As someone who better meets and matches society's expectations for what womanhood looks like, for what manhood looks like. And so that's part of the thing that, like I said before, 98.5 percent of the time I am misgendered as a woman. 
I am not legible as a man <laughs> most of the time, unless someone is walking up behind me from the back in like a Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> has been a very male. Right, right. I'm in this male space and I have this short hair and I'm wearing these masculine clothes. And so therefore, oh yeah. Oh, sir, do you need help? Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, ma'am. And I'm like, you were right the first time, you know. (laughs) Right, absolutely. You should have just left it and you were fine. Um, Or drive-through windows, right? And so I've been pulled over a couple of times by a police officer who I'm fairly certain thought I was a black man until they got to the window, you know, and looked in my face and then looked at my driver's license. Well, actually, there was one time still, I think, was still engaging with me. It's like, see your license and was being all gruff and rough and everything um, and vocally and handle my license. And he's looking, he sees this big old F, right, um, <laughs> under gender on my license. And he looks at me and he's like, uh, 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 and all of a sudden, Demeanor that, that, flipped. It changed. Like, had, had less of a reason boom. to pull you over. Right. right. All of a sudden. All, all of a sudden. sudden. Well, you know, be safe out here. There was snowing really bad. It was a Christmas Eve. I was coming from church. <laughs> Midnight Christmas Eve service. <laughs> um, and coming back home. And, you know, this was um, back when I was living in Ohio. And I was like, you. <laughs> Thank you, officer. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just walk away from this. Um, <laughs> make sure I can drive away from this interchange. <laughs> My passing typically doesn't happen in restroom. I have okay. been asked to leave restrooms, had big scenes in restrooms because walking into that restroom, honestly, I just had to pee. I didn't even look. I was I'm going, I'm, next time I'm going in the men's room because y'all don't look up. So, um, <laughs> I don't. Men kinda, are like, kind of true. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see it. So I'm going, and I have, it's, you know, free passing. Women, I'm like, first of all, you got to lock. I can't get in, even if I was, you know, but yeah. Um, So I usually get it going into restrooms where I'm having the biggest issue of, do you know what restroom you're going into? Mm -hmm. Do you know what restroom you're going to? Then they got to look back out. We're in the same restroom. Just go to the bathroom. Lock your door. I'm locked mine. We're We're all good. good. Um, But yeah, so yeah, if I have a hat on, up until I open my mouth. Right. Huh. That is where I get the eyebrows are starting to move. Because I I even have folks look me in the face and still don't. They mm-hmm. don't see. They, mm-hmm. It's very androgynous for them. So they don't. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or I am introduced as a 14-year-old boy. Right. Usually okay. if I'm with my wife. <laughs> Your son is so cute. Oh, my God. Seriously. I am. I am more likely to be recognized as masculine as a man if I have a hat on. Mm. Mm. Get squared, I guess. Right. What about with your kid around? Say again? What about with your kid, child around? Yeah, he's um so it's funny. He he will be nineteen tomorrow. Oh Ooh. sorry I said child. What I meant was grown ass man. He thinks he perhaps oh, thinks go. he is um, <laughs> age wise. Emerging emerging grown ass man. <laughs> yeah. We have been mistaken as siblings. Okay. We often get mistaken as siblings. But you so either well earlier in his transition we would be mistaken as sisters. So we're both getting okay. his gender. Yes. Now in his transition, because he's full beard. I mean, he is recognizable as a man anywhere he goes mm-hmm. now. I'm presumed sometimes, I've been presumed, I think, to be a girlfriend. I've been <laughs> sister. 
so, but typically in a feminized. <laughs> right, role. right. I'm always okay. feminized. Yeah. I'm always feminized. Gotcha. He no longer is, but okay. I always am. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Facial hair is a very passable. If you have facial hair, yeah, you, you get you get to do a lot more if you have. Oh facial yeah. Hair. Okay. Oh yeah. Cool. It's a lot. Life's a lot easier. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot easier. <laughs> and if you're um a bigger build and tall, right. Taller, okay. bigger, bigger build. build, right? So, so I get my. I have a bigger build. So yeah. when I walk into a lot of spaces, that will give me my masculinity right. or my manhood based on my build. Right. Um. But the minute I open my mouth, that's when it oh. starts to exactly. And, and then it's like, well, because of your build, I right. don't see anything. Pre- You're a boy. Okay. Right. So now we will give you boy. Right. Right. Yeah. When you're talking about like build, beard, and stuff like that, is that specifically like communities of color or is that literally anywhere? That's across the board. That's across the board. So I'm disadvantaged. I'm short. Mm -hmm. I'm slight, slighter, you know, in terms of build. Yeah. And so that like my body is this straight jacket that just screams femininity at people. No matter what I do, yeah. <laughs> no matter what I do. So, you know, I can be in a full three piece suit and tie with a flat fedora on <laughs> and be presumed to just be playing dress up or to just be um, a stud lesbian. Mm. Okay. Right. So presumed sexuality is presumed queer. But or like, oh, you're just I remember being in the bathroom once I was adjusting my tie in the mirror and white woman cis white woman came in she first checked the door mm-hmm. make sure she was in the right they spot the they always check the door and i just i'm looking in the mirror seeing her do this yeah. and then she's like oh yeah i like there are days when i like wearing a tie too so i can feel powerful and i'm like "Ooh, you okay yeah mm-hmm. it's like simultaneously like sad and gross right. you know what i mean yeah. like man right. that sucks that you kind of have to think that way right. and get to Get out of here. <laughs> exactly. Go away. Why are yeah, you talking absolutely. to me? Absolutely. Why are you talking to me? Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm only 5'4". I can't go into a men's shoe store and buy, oh, buy God, shoes. Me either. I have to yeah. order all my Online. shoes. Online. Everything right. is ordered. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when, I think when I first started uh, really um, embracing my masculinity and dressing the way that I, I felt I needed to, it was very hard to switch clothes sizes mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't get um, tailored. Um, men mm-hmm. wouldn't tailor me. So if I went in to get tailored, if there was not a female representative on the floor, they wouldn't touch me. Right. So for a long time, I didn't know what my sizes were because I couldn't find a female tailor. Wow. And so even with that, you know, I'm wearing clothes that were too big or too small because I didn't know what my sizes were and I right. didn't know where to look to, to do that. Right. Now, again, because of my build, I don't really have that problem um, mm-hmm. very often. I'm definitely more often than not, I'm going to be gendered as a, a young male. Right. Um, I was fortunate in that when I first started buying men's clothes or clothes designed for men. Assigned male at birth bodies because <laughs> what is men's clothes? I mean, whatever they're clothes, but the clothes on the men's side of the store. I was advantaged because I had a friend, a cis queer black man, mm. who told me how to measure myself so I would know and how the sizes worked. So I would know what in terms of pants, waist and length combination I needed to go for and how the pants were supposed to break mm-hmm. um, at the hem and have all and then though have experimented with um there was one time the first suit that i bought um was at a banana republic 
And <laughs> it was what? It was a fly suit. I still have it. I can't fit it right now, but I still have it. It's navy blue, beautiful suit. And the I I was fortunate enough that the salesperson who assisted me was a queer black man who did all of this education with me on how the jacket was supposed to fit. And so, no, that's too big because it's fallen wrong across your shoulders or did all of this work with me. And so taught me stuff in also in the course of that session, spent like half an hour with me and I had a friend with me uh, as well um, but spent like half an hour with me and so there were things I learned in that interaction that I've been able to carry through but there are still days depending on the store that I'm in that I pretend I'm buying clothes for my son and not for me you know just to avoid questions strange looks you know even as I'm holding stuff up to my body to see if it'll <laughs> Always prepared that if someone comes in, in certain space, someone comes and questions me that I'll say, oh, you know, my son and I are like, my son's almost my size, the same right. around the same size I am. So mm-hmm. thanks, Jerry. Mm-hmm. So we know we're more than just our masculinities. We're going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Is that OK? Yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite movie? Malcolm X. Ever? Oh, my God. You could do two if if it's hard to get one. I, ooh, this is supposed to be rapid fire. Oh my god! Um, It'll sound my favorite fire movie right it. now is what Waka- is Black Panther. I'm supposed to say Wakanda <laughs> is Black Panther. That is my favorite movie right now. I have. I have favorite movies across genres and genres and time periods. And so I don't have just one. Still I did X. love Michael Max. That was phenomenal. That man, he was. Ooh. Denzel should have gotten an Oscar. He should have gotten an Oscar for that one. Uh, what's your dream job outside of SJ work? Social justice work. I guess I should say it out loud. Most folks would be mad at me. Not saying what my dream <laughs> job would be. I want to be a police officer. Okay. Not saying it's not social justice work. That's cool. There are, there are reasons behind it. No doubt. I see your face. (laughs) We've talked about this before. Um, I think in many ways, I'm doing most aspects of my dream job. Mm. So, yeah. Cool. What's an interesting talent that you have or one that you would want to have? I can roll my tongue. (laughs) Talented. I don't know. Um, Well, depending on who you're talking to. I'm really really sitting here trying to say interesting talent. I don't know. Um, I mean, I can tie a bow tie without looking. Right, me too. There you go. (laughs) What's your guilty non-pleasure? So what's something that other people love and you're kind of feel guilty for not loving it oh guilty non-pleasure mm. i really feel bad when i don't like black movies mm-hmm. <laughs> i just hate mm-hmm. the character like all the characters that why we gotta be a thug or a prostitute or like why why are all of those are breaking up marriages and stuff like that right i but everyone's like you don't watch that no right <laughs> um anything associated with tyler perry okay so <laughs> Just kind of go together. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like the plays. TV shows, movies. Um, no. <laughs> it's all the same thing. Exactly. If you were to write an autobiography, what would be the title of the first chapter? Oh. First we're in the ocean. We're diving deep. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> I think mine would be, and I think I, I used this phrasing before and, and um, as did Patrice, but would be, you know, 
into and of black womanhood would probably be the title of the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely would say something along that um, intro to black womanhood. Okay. Uh, favorite gum? Juicy fruit. That's old school. <laughs> that is super old school. It is awesome like, though. That might be lost in our audience. That's, that's fine. It's, it's, gonna move it's good. Um, so good. It only lasts for like five minutes, but right. <laughs> um, whatever I can find that's like a spearmint flavor. Yes, for real. What color is your soul? Black. <laughs> Purple. Cool. That's all I got. Well. Thank you too so much for being here. We deeply appreciate it. I I mean, I hope everyone enjoys that ridiculous knowledge sandwich that we all just ate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> insanely delicious. Um, and it is an absolute privilege to be able to hear stories like that. So thank you so much for being here and sharing yourselves with us today. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for the invitation. Yeah. That will do it for this episode of Do You Even Live, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even allow us to do this podcast. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to WGAC colostate.edu for more kcsu content go to kcsufm.com music production by xavier hadley aka zavley check him out at soundcloud.com slash xavier hadley that's x-a-v-i-e-r-h-a-d-l-e-y thanks for listening everyone peace deuces <laughs> meek Can you see how privileged you are? Dang it. <laughs> um, and it's because of my generation you have those kinds. Of anyway, so he asked me, you know, how do I define? <laughs> I'm very much a Gen Xer. It's also a salient identity. <laughs> we are the ball headed middle stepchildren of generational conversation. But anyway, um, he 